Welcome to the Wonders of Thetis podcast, your one-stop shop for all your Dragon Age role-playing game needs. My name is Ren. And I'm Jessica. Welcome back to another exciting episode. Welcome uh, back. So we had another vote on our social media, as is per custom, to find out what our next episode was going to be. We wanted to talk about something a bit mechanical this time. So this time, we uh, it was actually a pretty dang close race. It was. This is probably the closest it's been. Mm-hmm. I thought we were going to have a tie for a little while, and then I found like two votes tucked away. Oh. And because I, I wasn't sure how we were going to break the tie because we've never had to do that before. But uh, it can see in the end. It was a really close race between all of them, actually. It's but true. There's one point difference between first, second, and third. Mm-hmm. But the winner was talking about rewards in the Dragon Age role playing game, and this is this is a good one to talk about. It is. It's uh, yeah, it's the stuff that your players are waiting for. Uh huh. We got a lot. We got a lot to say about these guys. So uh, we've got no news this week in Thetis worth uh, taking a segment to answer, but um, we I th- I thought we should uh, mention that I've been keeping my ear to the ground on the forums. One of the moderators mentioned that Dragon Age Faces of Thetis is finished, Ooh. but they're sending it to Bioware for final confirmations. Mm. So they they're hoping that it's going to go quick. That could take it has, a good minute. <laughs> it has gone quick before. But it also has also taken what felt like an eternity, so we so we don't know. We'll be keeping our ear to the ground and hoping to hear back soon. Or uh, understanding they're probably in the in the works with another Dragon Age game, so they might might understandably be a bit busy. Mm-hmm. But fingers crossed. Hopefully, we're going to be seeing something exciting coming out of this real soon. Here's hoping. So. Uh, in the meantime, we'll just have to whet our appetites with uh, what we've got here in our show notes today. But first, we want to uh, make sure that we are upholding our good friend, or lifting up our good friends of the D20 Radio Network, an excellent collection of podcasters. We highly recommend you check out their website and go down the list of all the podcasts that they've got on the network. In particular, we want to start by saying uh, thank you. And see to the good folks at the Order 66 podcast for a lot of inspiration that made this podcast happen. And also, just give you, maybe shove a couple of you folks over there to check it out because it's really cool. Especially, we do love them. Oh, yeah. Goodness, do we love them. Those folks do excellent work over there. And um, the latest episode, uh, while a couple of the hosts were away at Gen Con, like we were, oh, um, yeah. one of the hosts, uh, they got a couple special guests to talk about uh, party dynamics group cohesion which is useful for any rpg no matter what you're playing Mm -hmm. and uh let me tell you these guys they know their stuff so if it's in the order 66 podcast it is probably something you need to listen to and uh, you're probably going to get some benefit out of it so they've been been at this for a while they know what they're doing they've been an inspiration for us like we said so Mm -hmm. definitely definitely the next time you have access to something that gives you podcasts check out order 66 please do And without further ado, why don't we go ahead and consult our codex. You can ask me questions if you like. I'm not sure why you'd want to, but... Oh, good. Thank you. I'm going to regret this, aren't I? Welcome to the codex. We have got only one question this time, but it's a big one. Because we, we took some time to answer it. 
especially because they said the question asker kind of gave us five or six questions all wrapped <laughs> up into the same one. But we, I went through and I wrote down little notes for each one. We're full service uh, podcast here. Yes, we are. Um, from a new question asker, Brent, I believe it's uh, Ganja. We're, we're trying our best. We we're trying our best. Uh, Brent Ganja Thomas on our Facebook page. I really hope I got it right, Brent. And if, if not, uh, feel free to let me know and uh, give me a pronunciation guide and we will get it right next time. Absolutely. So, um, I, I truncated your question a little bit because it was a rather long post, but uh, your question, questions, was, could you throw a dog a bone sometime and maybe do one on the ranger talent? It's not very spelled out in the core book, and I'm curious how better gamers than myself, I wouldn't go that far, personally, address this in play. Specifically, what kind of animals can be trained? What does that mean in the world of Thetis? What kind of advanced and standard t- dice tests are required to capture them, train them, and what does it cost in effort and gold to keep them? How many animals can travel with you at one time? How do you use them in battle? Is their turn your turn? So many confusing things that come up while playing. I could definitely use a little help here. Oh, that is a, that is a lot of questions and a lot of fair questions. They're, oh, definitely. Those are all very reasonable questions. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, unfortunately, we have to say that we can't really do a ranger specialization because we've already picked our topic, and uh, we've kind of got like a little rotation that we use for what uh, our episode topics are going to be, and we just did a rogue specialization episode, so we're not going to be getting back to rogue specializations for a little while, um, but we can still give you We will you still a get to answers. it eventually. We will definitely get to it for eventually because sure. it's, it's worth talking about. It's got, it's got some cool... It's got some, I've got some cool ideas for it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, anim- but what we probably want to talk about is the uh, talent that you are probably going to be taking alongside going a ranger is uh, being uh, taking the animal training talent, uh, which is a fairly nebulous talent to begin with, and we think it's done that way by design because mm-hmm. it's oh don't look at the page oh great hmm. okay doesn't require it to get into the ranger specialization, but um, it's likely something that a ranger would probably make some excellent use of. Because it means you know you get an, you have animals and you train them to do certain tricks or uh, you can train them up for combat and whatnot, um, and animal training is kind of is is very vague in how it's written. It just says that you know you can train an animal, uh, but it doesn't necessarily say if you have to go securing one, if you have to buy one, if it has to be one that's already been domesticated, if you have to domesticate it yourself. Um, and I think that's done by design so that uh, GMs aren't necessarily, GMs and players aren't necessarily constrained to doing it in a very specific way. GMs can have it run specifically how they want their campaign to feel. So the same GM may run this talent differently in different campaigns, uh, even different campaigns of their own, just to suit the needs of each individual campaign. Like some GMs may um, just say, especially if you're going to be getting a lot of animal companions, just just do mm-hmm. it, just do it, just do it to as test forest, and and they work for you. Uh, but if, especially if it's like a very significant animal or a very powerful creature that's been caught and you want to try and um, domesticate it or um, even befriend it, hopefully befriend it, be One nice. Would hope. Be, be nice. Be nice to your animal friend. That's right. Um, they'll probably, GM, those GMs will probably want to make it take a little bit more time so that it, uh, so that it kind of unfolds more organically. But with that in mind, we have a couple of suggestions that we hope can help. Uh, we recommend keeping a note card or maybe an entire character sheet for your pet or pets. If you have more mm-hmm. than one, you're going to want a few. Uh, but they're not probably not going to have a lot of class abilities, so the note card should be just fine. 
Yeah, you should be able to get most everything you need on there. Yeah. If you intend to train an animal or two, you're going to want a couple specific things on the note card. Uh, you're going to want to ra- uh, note their their uh, se- their eight ability ratings, uh, their health, their defense, their speed, and any armor rating they might naturally have, uh, any special powers they might have as a member of their species. Uh, and you'll want to write down what tricks you've taught them because uh, animal can see even uh, creatures that have been trained only can do specific things mm-hmm. when you train them. They're still animal animals. Training. Yes, they're still animals. Even a Mabari still got a cunning of negative two. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like Mabari might be a special case, though. Mabari is probably a special case, especially you once you start bonding with them. and they can You can kind of actually tell them what to do. Mm-hmm. But um, with animal training, when you take the novice degree, you can basically teach an animal a number of tricks equal to your communication. Um, write those down on that note card, and you're going to want to be specific with things like, and they have to be like very obvious, like heal, attack who I'm pointing, attack them who I'm pointing to, sit, stay, roll over, pull this for me. Uh, you're and so it can't be the when you got the novice degree, you can teach another a member of uh, tricks equal to communication, and they got to be straight, they got to be straight, mm-hmm. so straightforward, they got to be simple. Um, when you take the journeyman degree, you can start teaching them more complex commands, like guard this place from intruders, come get me if somebody if somebody approaches, uh, collect stabs from fallen mages, flank the enemy the I'm stick. fighting, uh, knock the enemy prone, fetch this item and give it to this person, or bring this message to this person. Those are all very complicated, but once you've got the journeyman degree, you can uh, teach, teach those kinds of tricks. And maybe, once you've got the journeyman degree, you can probably start trading out tricks that the... Uh, um, animal new from novice degree and replacing them with more complex ones. I would imagine so. Mm-hmm. Uh, but talent, uh, let's see, so at, journey, at novice degree, it's just communication number of tricks, and at journeyman degree, it's communication plus two number of tricks. So write those down on the note card uh, and be very specific. There's no tests to make them learn, the, to, to make them, to help them learn the tricks. Um, but they do take time. Uh, the talent does list that e- that uh, teaching them tricks does require an expenditure of time, mm-hmm. uh, more for the higher level uh, parts of degrees of the spe- of the uh, the talent. So you're going to meant to make sure that your um, campaign is going to have time for you to be able to do that. So the first little que- question within questions that you had was what kind of animals can be trained, and that's going to be very much ask your GM, because mm-hmm. uh, the GM is going to know what. Uh, what they feel like they can, is going to be suitable for the campaign, what you can find, um, and what feels like a reasonable thing you can train. There's a couple mm-hmm. examples in the core rulebook, and if you happen to have the Fantasy Age Bestiary, they've got a bunch of mundane and even a couple of massive uh, creatures in there that you can use. Mm-hmm. Um, take a look at If the creature's listed with a moderate threat rating, the GM is probably going to want to adjust it to bring it down a little bit. Um, at the very least, if you're starting as a level one character, that's mm-hmm. not going to be a good match. Uh, some exotic choices that we thought we might highlight for people who t- maybe took specific backgrounds and come from very special places would be things like uh, Mabari Warhounds for Ferelden Nobles, or Hala for Dalish Elves, or Brontos uh, for Dwarves from Orzammar, or even a giant rat if you really want to. Yeah, although there is an argument for the fact that a Mabari Warhound is more of a companion than a, uh, it's true. an animal. Mm-hmm. It's very also true. kind of a Hala now that we're thinking about it. A little bit, yeah. Talk to your GM. Mm-hmm. So, uh, what do these animal? What can these animals like mean in the world of Thetis? Most cases, it's probably not going to mean anything, um, because animal training happens all the time in Thetis. Um, if you're getting big stuff like bears or uh, or, or even lions, 
that's just gonna look impressive. People are gonna think that's pretty dang cool. But I mean, mm-hmm. like you know, dogs are trained all over Ferelden. The Chevaliers have their horses. Um, the Avar have falcon have falcons. Uh, but if you start getting weird stuff or big stuff like dragons or giant spiders, I'm not gonna say hi to you in town. That's for sure. What? Right. You're probably gonna get some weird looks and potentially some unwanted attention, especially and if things, folks think you got like blood magic going on. Also, if you're bringing any of these things into, say, majorly populated areas, <laughs> and even if you've got, like, a dog, if you're taking that dog into some really fancy place, like, you know, some noble's party, you're going to come into some problems. Probably. So your GM will probably help you be aware of what that is going to look like in your campaign. But in general, you, you know, pet, pets aren't a big part of high Ferelden society. So. Right. Yeah, Ferelden, if you got a Mobari, that's... If you have a Mobari, that's different. Then, that's then why I said no pets. Then they'll tailor a suit for him. Yes. Not a pet. Her. It's a Mobari. Mm-hmm. Yes. So, uh, another question was, what kind of standard or advanced dice tests are required to capture them, train them, what does it cost in effort and gold to keep them? And that's also going to be very much up to your GM, Mm -hmm. uh, how they're going to set the tone for the campaign. You're probably going to be making a lot of communication animal handling tests. That is pretty much going to be your bread and butter in this regard. To capture them could be anything from like, dexterity traps or strength might if you just want to wrestle them into the ground or that might be bad for your relationship dexterity brawling if you want to go punch a bear don't punch a bear it'd probably go badly it's a hint of them public service announcement don't punch a bear (laughs) the punch back and then they'll bring three friends but uh the the talent doesn't actually require a test so this is really 100 percent on your gm including upkeep for animals mm-hmm. your gm will probably let you know how much like it dep- are they if they're asking you to track food every day then they'll probably ask you to track food for your animal every day mm-hmm. they're not asking they're not asking you to track food for every single solitary day then you're probably not gonna have to worry about it yeah, too much you probably not have to worry about it too much um how many animals can travel with you at one time ask your technically, gm ask your gm but technically as many as you want um, but we would probably recommend that you be reasonable with it because if you're bringing five dogs along, then that's going to bog down a lot of encounters. If, you know, uh, if you've got five other characters on your turn to run, then everyone else is going to be kind of sitting there for yeah, way too much time, spinning their wheels, waiting for you to run over all those attack rules for the dogs and spend all their stunt points. It just, it, you know, there's, there's a soft cap. There's a soft yeah. cap in there. Just be reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, we would also, uh, uh, and we might get into some things about like bringing a single significant animal in and maybe writing up some rules for animals leveling up. Although you could probably just say like dexterity perception and strength is a primary focus and they get ability advancements and focuses at the same rate as the PCs. Uh, if you've got like, maybe like a family dog that you want to bring along. Yeah, Mobari. Mm-hmm. Level, I mean, the mo- yeah, dog in, uh, Orge is leveled exactly. up with you. Why shouldn't your other Exactly. Dog? Why not? As far as how you use them in battle, is their turn your turn? I think generally that is the smart choice. It's it's just, just to easy. Keep things simple. Just they go when you go. If for some reason because of tactics it does happen, they need to move on a time when you're not moving. That's when you can talk to your GM, have them roll a separate initiative. Mm-hmm. You'll figure. You guys will figure it out. It's really very. Uh, yeah. It's very GM based. A lot Your of this GM is going, is going to be going based to be the on how the GM you. wants to run it. Um, some GMs will probably want to actually take and be the ones who control your pets, um, so that they, you know, 
acts they act like animals still but within the realm of the controls of the of the controls of the commands that you gave them and some gms will let you have complete control mm-hmm. so it's really going to be a lot it's, i hope it's not a dissatisfying answer but up to your gm and your gm is going to be the holy grail for all of these answers so go find them ask them talk to them about it see what feels right for the campaign and work it out exactly and hopefully that helps answer your question. Thank you very much, Brent. Uh, if you ha- if any of you out there listening have a question about the Dragon Age RPG, whether it's mechanics, build suggestions, questions about lore, clarifications about old episodes we've done, anything, send a message to podcast at gmail.com. Send it to us through our Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, or SoundCloud accounts, or you can send a personal message to Cot the Protector or Healer Pop on the Green Running forums, or Cot and Lease on the D20 radio forums. Mm-hmm. That's us. So, why don't we go ahead... And jump right on into uh, the distant verses. Do you ever wonder what lies at the edges of the map, past the seas? No. I think we have enough to worry about on this continent. Uh, of course, but... <sighs> Welcome to a very exciting episode of the distant verses. We're taking this time to feature one of the most important kinds of Dragon Age RPG creations, campaigns. One of our listeners, uh, Rick Baggins, has brought to my attention that he and some friends are part of some Dragon Age campaigns of the best kind, the kind you can watch on YouTube and listen to on podcasts. Rick has got uh, two YouTube channels right now called Betrayal Raven and Fateful Fumble. Uh, in Betrayal Raven, we follow the exploits of Fate Swain, which I believe was the first group that uh, that they started, uh, who are uh, acting out, I believe, around uh, the Inquisition era. And the Bloody Stags, who are apparently wronged by the Fate Swain and are on a quest to get revenge on them. On the the Fateful Fumble uh, YouTube channel, which is also a podcast that you can listen to, this follows the Kestrels, who are agents of Leliana. All those uh, agents that Leliana is sending around in war table operations, maybe you should actually, maybe we can go roleplay some of those. Uh, Rick also tells us that there is going to be a crossover event that is going to get all of the campaigns under the roof of Fateful Fumble. Tune in for this exciting event on the future. The date is to be determined at the moment. We are pretty excited about this. Yeah, it's, I've, I've listened into a couple of them. It sounds like they're having a lot of fun. It also sounds like there's a lot of elven ladies playing, which feels exactly like my campaign. Yep. It's pretty much all elven ladies now. Yep. I mean, it's, it's how it goes. It's yeah. how it goes. Dragon Age's population by player characters is about 90% elven ladies from what I've been seeing. Is it really? Uh, from from okay, what well, I see on Facebook and from especially what I see on Tumblr. I was going to say, unless you're talking about us, because, I mean, then you again, can't just judge by us. Right. Then again, my Tumblr might be inundated with uh, Solovellan art. A lot, of, a lot of Solovellan art. Why is that happening? He's kind of a jerk. He's kind of a jerk, Why yeah. Do you, what do you see in him, ladies? Uh, maybe it's Maybe it's the head. It's not. Maybe it's the scalp. It's not. Maybe it's, it's not. that smooth, I... silky scalp. Oof. Ugh. Gar. <laughs> anyway. Um... Uh, Rick, that is it's a, it's excellent work. I'm very sorry that I missed your last episode. I couldn't quite get to it in time. But uh, hopefully, well, let's see, I'll be able to sit on the next one when you stream it live on YouTube. And uh, maybe throw out a couple of hoo-ahs at the, let's see, during the episode. But uh, you can find Rick's YouTube channels and others and other submissions archived in our resources for your game page on our blog, one is the podcast.wordpress.com. If you'd like to share your or someone else's custom Dragon Age RPG content with their permission, with permission, 
send a message to whatisafetispodcast at gmail.com. You can send it to us through our Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google+, or SoundCloud accounts, or send a personal message to Cot the Protector or Gila Pup on the Green Ronin forums, or Cotton Lease on the D20 radio forums. That's, That's us. Well, you know what? We've been working so hard at uh, at podcasting, I think we deserve a reward. We deserve a little something-something. Yeah. So uh, why don't we talk a little bit about... The Ooh. main topic. Is it fate or chance? I can never decide. So, the PCs deserve a little something for all their hard work, right? Oh yeah, always. Always. Uh, now, this particular topic, especially in Dragon Age, is a little tricky... Uh, and most and most other age games because some uh, more popular role playing games uh, will ha- some have standardized wealth uh, reward schedules and tables listing the wealth that a PC is expected to have at specific levels. Maybe some of like the uh, the oldest and or uh, uh, the oldest RPGs might have some tables that are expecting the PCs to have like mm-hmm. even like certain materials on their weapons. Well, you know, D and D, Pathfinder, mm-hmm. and the spe- those are very. The, uh, your effectiveness at higher levels is very material goods oriented. You need to have magic items in order to be able to succeed. It really because is. that's not the case in Dragon Age, it's a bit more freeform. Mm-hmm. Much more freeform. Uh, which means that this is going to be one of the areas that the GM is going to want to invest a lot of mind power into because the decisions you make here are going to set the tone for the entire campaign. Uh, it's going to color what your players are going to expect about the future. It may make adjust decisions they make in character creation, or it may adjust decisions that they make during game. So, we're going to go over much of what is in Chapter 13, but think of this episode as a companion to a chapter that chapter. There's still a lot of good stuff to read up on in that chapter, so GMs should read it if they haven't. Mm-hmm. Very important. So, uh, there are a couple of approaches to rewarding players, and to rewarding the, the player characters. Uh, and there are a couple of schedules that we'll use. Um... One is uh, giving uh, lots of treasure. The heroes are showered with gold, magic armor, and fame. They can buy townhouses and several capitals. Their food is always top quality, and they never run out of potions. The PCs are going to have powerful gear, some of which may bestow levels of talent on them, allowing them to take talents in other things, making them more rounded and strong. Campaigns of theft, war, or tomb robbing will likely have plenty of things for the PCs to plunder and use themselves. Uh, these many treasures do not have to all be valuable, but the accumulation of these numerous rewards is needed for larger goals and can sometimes be uh, the focus of the campaign. Business is that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if the PCs have a large amount of powerful weapons and armor, and a lot of bombs to throw around and plenty of potions to drink, the GM is likely going to have to take extra care that the campaign doesn't become too easy for the decked out PCs. Mm-hmm. So just keep that in mind. Of course, once you've hit, oh, I don't know, level 18, you've earned a bit of the good life. You have. Time. You have. Because uh, the game is not written assuming that the PCs are going to have gear of certain amounts at later levels, the PCs are still going to become more powerful. The gear, let's see, but extra stu- lots of extra treasure is going to supplement that, mm-hmm. which means that they might end up being more powerful than the game expects them to if you're not careful. Yep. you got to watch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, conversely, uh, little treasure. While the treasures may not be common, they could still be valuable. Adventures involving complex heists, political intrigue, or wilderness exploration might use the model of let's say, you might use the model of little treasure. Uh, treasures are dispersed, uh, but they may be more significant with large scores coming in every few sessions to keep the PCs paid for those in between scenarios. 
or it could mean that the PCs aren't getting much of anything. Uh, the campaign could be focused around survival or hiding what little material goods the PCs are able to find. Uh, mm -hmm. Maybe they're dealing with. Uh, maybe the PCs are like people are like uh, the militia in a tiny town that's trying to deal with it. That's you know under siege. Yeah, or, uh, there's a lot of resource management. A bunch of innocent people stuck in the middle of the Mage Templar War. Mm -hmm. They're oh. trying to scavenge what they can in order oh, yeah. to not get burnt or mm -hmm. sorted. Right. So the stuff that you get is going to become more valuable, even though it's not necessarily worth a lot of coin, just because it, mm -hmm. it could be very resource management -y. Um, it does mean that power level is going to be significantly different after a time from the massive wealth group. It's true. It's very true. So the campaign is going to have to be built a little differently with some different assumptions. Mm -hmm. um, another, let's see, another um, goodness uh, lens to be looking through uh, how to give treasure is uh, common. It's a common rewards. However the much the PCs gain, they get it often. Uh, this is a good approach for groups who like micromanagement or even have campaigns focused on resource management. Um, this can make the game go a little slower, but some players take a real shine to counting how many weapons they gather from the fallen and liquidating them into solid coin for the future. Some players really like that. It's a lot of fun. Um, not everybody does. Mm. Uh, we might have one player who does that occasionally. Well, to be fair, it's more the character that does that. Right. And it's more the character. occasionally and more frequently because... <laughs> It is who she is. And she always gets brought up. It's always a Callian day. It's always a Callian day. If you do plan on this kind of schedule, it would behoove you to have silver and gold totals written down early so that the PCs can just ask you, how much do we get for the bandits gear? This is a good approach for games with long sessions and players who like the reassuring reward schedule. You can also bundle rewards. However much the PCs gain, they get it all at once. Uh, this is a very strong approach for PCs who don't want players who don't want to sweat how much stuff they're getting and get back to the story. You can still give them their stuff, but in large bundles that you give out once or twice, uh, one, one like every one or two sessions rather than after every encounter. This is also really good for role-playing groups or groups who don't have a lot of time to play in a single session, don't have time to think about what, what stuff they're getting and write it down on their character sheet and think mm -hmm. about how to divvy up the stuff. They've got to get back to the game. So... How much treasure you give is going to have a profound effect on the tone of your game, so choose very wisely. But uh, supposing we're not giving treasures, there are other things that can be given as rewards and, in mm -hmm. fact, are necessary to the yes. continuation of the game. Mm -hmm. And, of course, there's also, there's also treasure. I mean, I like treasure. But let's touch on a little bit about what kinds of things can we give to the PCs. Um, the first thing, the most obvious thing that you're probably going to be giving to the PCs all the time is experience or levels. Hopefully your PCs are getting these without us necessarily having to tell you to do it. Otherwise, they're going to be wondering why they've been playing for three years and they're still level one. Exactly. The PCs are going to need to be higher level to take on the big baddies that you wrote for them, right? Uh, so you can either do this by handing out experience points or by handing out full character levels. Uh, leveling up your PCs just whenever they reach a certain threshold is simple and quick. Uh, you're going to have to lay some ground rules for it, though. Like, what gets a PC a level? Um, so in some cases, it might be like completing a story arc. Um, or completing a goal that a PC might have set for themselves. Uh, the GM may have specific criteria that gets you a level, like uh, slaying. Uh, maybe maybe the GM wrote down if they if this if a PC slays this certain number of monsters, they get a level. Uh, if they craft a particularly nice item or they craft a certain mm -hmm. number of items, they might get a level. Sort of story and achievement based levels, not yeah, necessarily yeah. Uh, individually meted mm -hmm. out XP. Yes. It's a fairly solid ways to go, as the players don't need to tally experience at the end of session, and the GM always knows what level the PCs are going to be at. 
Um, some players don't appreciate their character's growth being under so much control by the GM, so make sure your players are cool with this approach. Mm -hmm. And it does mean that you're going to have to be uh, careful if you are starting to give some, if, you know, like some PCs are going above and beyond and, you know, like doing extra little activities that get them extra character levels, but the other PCs maybe can't think of anything, the players can't think of anything, or their abilities don't lend them to that kind of stuff, so they might lag behind, so... Mm -hmm. You'll well, just and have be to careful sure about that. that anyway. That's just a simple, yeah. you know, everybody getting their time in the spotlight, the mm -hmm. party cohesion thing. But. Yes. Uh, giving out experience points can be fun and is fair, uh, but it does involve a bit more bookkeeping. If you and your group are okay with that, giving out experience rewards can get the players more invested if they know what actions grant experience. If role-playing role grants the experience, the PCs will likely strike up more conversations with NPCs. If day jobs, crafting, or performing regular duties as part of an organization gives XP, the PCs will invest some time. Uh, experience can be an excellent way to breadcrumb PCs into performing tasks that give the campaign a certain flavor to keep them from going too far off the rails. Uh, you can also give out small experience boosts for, uh, or large experience boosts uh, for completing story arcs or completing goals or reaching certain milestones. and The trick of giving out experience, however, is knowing how much to give out at a given moment. Because this can be the balance. This is the balancing act. Uh, page mm -hmm. 315 of the core rulebook has a table that has recommended experience payouts determined by how difficult an encounter was to conclude. Um, more experience is given out for, uh, more, for encounters that the PCs had harder times with. Maybe not necessarily encounters you expected to be difficult, but... Maybe the PCs got really unlucky and they just weren't doing very well and they um, had to, you know, cast, maybe someone had to have a revival spell cast on them before they could die. Uh, things got a little hairy or maybe they spent, maybe they had to spend a lot of mana to take mm -hmm. this guy down or they had to throw a lot of bombs. If they had to put a lot of effort into it. Or resources. Yeah. Or especially if they had to spend a lot of resources to do it. Uh, and this can be for not only for combat encounters, but maybe uh, like exploration encounters where they have to expend a lot of resources to maybe bypass a natural hazard. Mm -hmm. You can give a lot. You can they, they PCs get more experience for that because Basically, they're learning yeah. more. It makes sense. It's a bit sort of uh, as expected. The mm -hmm. harder something was for you, the more you learned from it. Right. If the PCs just breezed by an encounter and just punched the guy out in one swing, then or his horse, or his horse, then the PCs might not get much experience, if any. Might get some joy. Right. But maybe not experience. <laughs> Bonus experience uh, for giving uh, given for completing a story arc or a goal. Um, the book at least recommends that you, uh, it should be about the amount that you'd give for the PCs completing a difficult encounter, which, you know, is fair. That does probably involve a great expenditure. Completing entire campaign arcs or completing goals probably involves a large expenditure of time. So making the PCs time worth it is good. Um, if the PCs are getting experience at differing rates, it can create some hurt feelings around the table. So be careful about how much you hand out. And maybe create like a, a cap of maybe like 250 extra experience for each PC around the table mm -hmm. in a single session. Yeah, honestly, I think trying to keep it even is generally a better idea because it mm -hmm. sort of promotes party cohesion. It doesn't mm -hmm. encourage a whole lot of showboating. It does. It Or it doesn't, rather. Yeah. it's a, it's <laughs> In my opinion, I always prefer that everybody get to be sort of kept very near the same place experience-wise mm -hmm. because... Unless there's a story reason for someone to be lower level, and then that's totally cool. Right. Um, and then, see, this could be the... Now, experience and levels could arguably be the most important reward to hand to PCs, as this lets them continue to face the challenges of the rest of the campaign. 
This is really the only reward that the rest of the game is expecting the PCs to have at later levels, at a later time, because they're going to be higher level. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, it's going to expect them to have class abilities and higher abilities, uh, ability scores and more health. Uh, gear, money, titles, fame can mean a lot less if your health is not high enough to take on that high dragon. So make sure you're thinking very hard about how you're going to reward experience. Yeah, um, that's probably also, the most important by far. Yes, you can also do a little bit of both, maybe like handing out experience at the end of sessions, but also if the PCs like reach a certain milestone, just give them a level. Just give them enough to reach the next level, or just give them a huge payout of experience that you know is going to make the level up. But that's more for like fine-tuning it for perfect control. Mm-hmm. Um, next important one to talk about is money. Copper, silver, and gold. Makes the world go round. Thetis is no stranger to money. Chapter 4 is chock full of things for the PCs to buy. It's got weapons to lamps, backpacks to healers kits, even buoys to horses. That being said, uh, one common complaint that we've, hear, or we've heard at the podcast is despite the large equipment chapter uh, and the ability, and essentially enough lists to furnish a house, there's the, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of stuff for an adventurer to buy. Especially if you're game. a mage. I always turn to that page. I because apologize. Because I... It's fine. Hmm. It's a trap. Arachnophobia is cursed. They got one for traveling and adventuring, and then they got for carrying and storage, which, considering the Dragon Age doesn't track encumbrance, is, you know, really not that useful. But, you know, maybe if the GM is tracking encumbrance, that could be more important. They've got one for tools for different trades, which, you know, if you're Mm going to get into crafting stuff, you're probably going to need to get into. Now, if you're being creative, you can use just about any of these things, and you can use them well. Mm -hmm. But... To be fair, especially if you are a player who is coming from something, say, more equipment-based, where Mm. your abilities rely much more heavily on your equipment, it can seem a bit... The the listings can seem a bit sparse. Mm Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, The money money you give out in the game is only going to be as good as what your players can spend it on. So... Uh, GMs can, there's a couple things you can do. GMs can get a lot of brownie points at their players if they have a list of things that can be purchased in their campaigns that are unique to that adventure or circumstance. Absolutely. Uh, like spending money on bribes or uh, like adding bonuses to communication tests in corrupt settings. Uh, maybe the PCs run an organization that can't quite handle everything that's going on. But, uh, the G- but then uh, for a few gold sovereigns, a local mercenary group or a budding band of adventurers would handle the extra weight. Um, maybe... Um, Property acquisition is going to be a big deal in your campaign. Um, so, you, or even you know, uh, fortifying a keep. So you need to put like uh, I don't know, eighty sovereigns into build into building uh, good dwarven walls to keep everybody out. Uh, especially if a, if a sea if a dark spawn siege comes or something. I don't know. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff to buy in the book, but you're probably but I, fair warning, you might want might want to think about adding some extra things. Uh, to give the PCs lots of options, because uh, so I can definitely say I can or I can definitely tell that some players are going to be a little underwhelmed by being able to buy like a bed frame, or a wooden cup. Hey, I made good mm. use of a pound of cheese. You did. Saved us from a bear <laughs> or something. Right, right. I think yeah. I think you threw a pound of cheese, or someone threw a pound of dried meat at it. We threw a lot of food at it, basically. Mm-hmm. It made the bear leave us, leave you guys alone, and let you skip an encounter. That was cool. Nobody, again, public service announcement, don't punch bears. Don't punch bears. They punch them. back. Maybe not necessarily feed the bears too much. They might come back for more. Well, if you're leaving, then that'll be fine. Mm-hmm. 
So just come back to where you're not. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, the core rulebook states that magic items are meant to be special, only gained through adventurers in special circumstance, but a lot of your players have probably played the video games, where kicking open a barrel bring, gives you a couple magic axes, uh, and you can buy, you know, you can just walk into the Wonders of Thetis sh- uh, magic shop and just buy a whole bunch of crazy magic items. I hear that place is pretty great. I hear it's pretty cool. They carry items crafted by the circle, as well as a variety of antiquities. And far be it from us to condemn the purchase of magic items, being mm. the wonders of Thetis. Of course. Uh, you, now, um, you know, those players may be confused when they hear that money can't buy them better quality supplies, which is not necessarily true. You absolutely can have superior and masterwork items for sale, but the core rulebook does recommend that magic items uh, and... Um, Masterwork and superior items, if they are for sale, should be expensive. Uh, which is fair, because they're see, they're because you know better gear in this in this game especially does mean a lot. It can like uh, because the numbers are so small, just a plus one to attack and damage can add up pretty quick. So uh, this means see that you can also set the tone of gear for a gear collection by how high you price items in a shop. Um, there's a simple guideline that I like to use when trying to price an item, like if, uh, say, Alora wants to buy a really nice suit of armor, um, maybe wants to make it uh, plate armor, heavy plate armor that is like plus three masterwork, so it's like 13 armor rating. Mm-hmm. Um, That's really nice. It is really nice. So I start usually by multiplying the price. I, um, if it's just like plus one masterwork, I, weapon or armor, I'll usually just take the original item and multiply the price by five. Uh, and then if it goes out, and if they add another masterwork benefit or they want to make it out of a better material, then I multiply it by 25. And then I multiply it by 100 and so on. Uh, you might notice that this is from the table for price and benefits of superior goods on page 329, and it is. I figured it worked well enough with my well-to-do PCs with hundreds of gold to throw around. Um, you always will if it's got hundreds of gold to throw around. Right. Um, each plus one to test that it gives, each levels of superior item of superior material that it grants, uh, carries an associated. Also, in addition to the price multiplier, all because it's a more impressive item, also carries you know social bonuses that may activate in specific situations uh, f- for specific people um, who would be impressed by such an exemplary item. You know, uh, a really well crafted rapier is probably going to be uh, giving you big bonuses, social bonuses when talking to uh, people who are duelists. Mm-hmm. Um, feel free to use this metric as it has served me well in keeping items within reach but not painless to part with the silvers to buy them mm-hmm. it's been a pretty reasonable balance mm-hmm. I think so uh, be sure to also remind PCs that poisons and grenades are available for purchase as well they're usually a bit pricey uh, they can really tip the scales when you need them poisons can be found on page 94 and grenades are on page 96 uh, and it is worth noting uh, that money is particularly valuable to PCs who craft if you take if a PC took poison making or trap making, then a lot uh, then the, they don't necessarily uh, track what kinds of resources you're getting. Like if you're getting frost rock or if you're getting uh, mm. I don't know like lures, it just tracks it by money. So if you're giving the PCs lots of money, then crafters are going to appreciate that. So keep that in mind that cold cash is going to be more valuable to PCs who craft and need money to fill their bag of trap parts. Mm-hmm. Now. Um, as we've mentioned, PCs are probably going to want some better equipment. They can start, because of course there's plenty of things to buy in here. They, well, once the warriors got heavy plate, they might start to wonder where they can go from there. Um, they can get, they can, uh, 
get weapon. They can all weapons, uh, armor, and tools can be made masterwork or with superior materials. Mm-hmm. And for the record, right now we are talking about you granting these to them in mm-hmm. game, not them necessarily purchasing them, since we've Correct. already discussed that. Yes, purchasing them should be diff- should be expensive, uh, but they should also definitely be uh, things that you can just give to the PCs. Maybe the PCs happen to find like. Uh, like an iron bark buckler as it lying in an old elven temple that they can pick up and start using. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool stuff. Nice and mm-hmm. Um, It has been, so let's see, feel free to add greater degrees of material like volcanic aurum or dragon bone. They only give, I think, four or five degrees of, mater- of better materials starting at like uh, iron and elm being standard and then going up to steel, viridium and silverite, but there's plenty of other things in there like gray iron, gray iron, red iron, um, or going up to things like volcanic aurum and dragon bone. So if you want to expand it, you know, feel free. It's, uh, there's a lot of cool, there's a lot of stuff you can do with it. Um, it has been, however, somewhat debated uh, whether or not um, when see when if you if you give PCs these cool things you know if you give a PC like uh, let's say uh, a Viridium greatsword uh, a Viridium two-handed sword but the PC is already a master of two-handed style the PC may feel like that's not going to be such a great de- uh, great mm-hmm. a great thing because they you know it's giving them a degree and a talent that they can't benefit from uh, it has been a bit debated on exactly what uh, happens once the PC can no longer start benefiting from things. Uh, according, uh, from what it looks like in the book, it looks like just nothing happens. Like mm-hmm. It just kind of doesn't help. Um, Which this, is disappointing for the right. people who have put so much into it to find out that they can't make the best use of that weapon. Right. But um, a couple of folks have made house rules, uh, and, for, and for my games in particular, I usually rule that for every degree of talent that you cannot benefit from, or every focus that you cannot benefit from, you get a cumulative plus one to attack and damage with that weapon. That seems legit. So if you're already a master at using it and you're picking up a silverite weapon that grants a talent level bonus uh, and the focus benefit, but you already have master degree and the focus for it, um, then it either can improve it can improve the focus, or if you've already got like the improved focus, it'll give you a plus one to attack and damage, and it'll give you a plus one to attack and damage for the talent level. So in the hands of a master, it has a plus two attack Oh yeah. Um, some people rule that a weapon grants specific talents, or whether uh, let's see. And some people rule that uh, the whenever you pick up a weapon, how whatever style you're using it in, it grants you a talent and a degree in that talent. That's going to be very much up to the GM. Mm-hmm. So um, figure that out. See, so figure that out. Talk amongst yourselves. But there's uh, there's a lot of good ways to go about it, and that can also help set the tone for your campaign. Um, let's see. Masterworks are items of superior craft that usually give bonuses. Um, let's see on, spe- on very specific tests, and uh, let's see, and they can, those can be for more than just weapons. Uh, mm-hmm. Those can be for like thieves' tools. That'll give you a plus one on ledger domain and trap and traps tests. I'm pretty sure I have an actual masterworks dress for yes. dealing with orlesions Correct. in particular. You do, and it gives me bonuses with Orlesians because it is masterwork and it cost me everything I owned at the time. It cost a lot of money. It was a nice dress. Uh, it is not listed in the core book, but if you have the PDF Faces of Thetis Varric from Green Running's online store, you can find an example of a very clever system of item improvements, uh, items that level with the PCs. It's worth taking a look. Having a PC's favorite weapon grant increasing benefits to the PCs as they go up in level. 
Um, so they needn't worry about collecting new gear or replacing the ones they already have. It is definitely worth looking into, especially because it means that you can give the PCs, you know, exactly the gear that they want, and they don't have to worry about, and you can focus on giving them other rewards yeah. instead of having to worry about what gear they're handing out. Also, legacy weapons are cool. Yeah. This can be extra useful, especially for some groups, as mentioned before, who don't want to track their gear accumulation of much. They have, you know, and so, you know, Varric's got Bianca. He's not going to be trading Bianca out for anything else. Yeah, there's no way. No way. Uh, next, we're going to touch on magic items. The prizes all of us are looking for. Glowing swords, glittering plate armor, magic stabs, belts with enchantments that may end up carrying the day. These are the crown jewel of any horde. These can include weapons, armor, potions, runes, belts, rings, amulets, robes, all kinds of things. There's plenty to be found in the core rulebook, and plenty of them to be found in our back shelves collections, where we've been doing uh, conversions of the various items from the Dragon Age video games uh, for the tabletop RPG. You can find those, I believe, at the top of our blog page. We got quite a mm -hmm. few. GMs should be very meticulous in choosing what magic items are being rewarded uh, because for a couple of reasons. Um, you're going to want to find stuff that the PCs are going to feel like that they can use uh, because selling them can be dicey because you've got no prices to work with, so it'll require a little extra work on your turn on in your uh, on your time to figure out how much the PCs are going to get for that mm -hmm. magic sword. In the end, it's just better to know your players, know the PCs, and give them things they're likely to keep. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Uh, it's also always an excellent idea to make items just for your campaign, and they can be tailored for the PC's needs in the campaign. Like maybe if your campaign is going to be taking place on, uh, let's see, on the deck of a ship, maybe um, the PCs happen to come across somebody who's created a pair of enchanted boots that maybe keeps you from falling overboard, or even helps you swim. That would be cool. <clears throat> yeah, those things can be helpful. There's technically no limit in the book as to how many magic items you can have at a time. Um, just use common sense. Mm -hmm. Usually it's like two rings, a belt, an amulet, and like weapon slots. You know, you got two hands, hopefully. Uh, let's see. And of course, GMs may have some house rules, but you're probably not going to be able to wear two belts and get the magic uh, belt, the bonuses from both. No. That's kind of silly. Um, next one is a bit of a, uh, a nebulous one uh, reputation. Uh, as the PCs perform greater and greater feats of heroism uh, or villainy, people are going to hear about it. Fame, uh, reputation is somewhat open-ended and may bring more trouble instead of easing it. It's going to be a lot more subtle than a lot of the other rewards we list because you're probably not you're not going to write it down on a character sheet, and it could even be construed just as you know the eventual consequences of our actions. As mm -hmm. opposed to like an actual reward to give PCs, but it becomes you... reward if the if the PCs mm -hmm. conduct themselves in a way that it's makes true. it a reward. It's true. If the PCs have a good reputation, they can open doors. Having a poor one can close them. Uh, mm -hmm. It's not codified, but it is worth uh, a good reminder to the PCs that their actions have consequences beyond the initial the immediate situation. Uh, reputation uh, usually just manifests in role playing and, and ex role playing encounters and maybe exploration encounters. Um, a good reputation as a law bringer can get you bonuses or additional options uh, in city guard circles, but if you're talking to criminals, it's not going to work out so great. Mm -hmm. um, then we have honorifics, which are usually, let's see, which are um, nice little uh, nicknames that the PCs can get, or nice little uh, kind of like achievement bonuses. 
mm-hmm. for doing. There are these are kind of like uh, like little achievements that the PCs can get that give you uh, lasting benefits, and they're usually for more for enhancing or inhibiting a PC's luck or in social encounters or maybe exploration encounters. They're usually not like plus one to strength or anything. It's usually okay. like bonuses to social tests. Is this what Fate's Favored falls under? Yes. We love Fate's Favored. We do love Fate's Favored. It has saved lives a couple of times. It's one that if you could make doubles by changing your dragon die up by one, then uh, once per once per session you can do that. Mm-hmm. I think great. you guys also had Defender of the Week. Or maybe we that do. was... Uh, like a plus three bonus in seeking the aid and comfort of those whom you would defend, provided that the aid can be given. Um, We've never really had to use it, though. Right. And um, Callian's got Master of Blades, which uh, gives her a plus one positive or negative bonus in social interactions. Um, if I, To those who would uh, respect her mastery of the blade. Mm-hmm. Um, and enemies in combat will suffer penalties to willpower, courage, or morale tests to maintain confidence when the Master of Blades is appropriately armed. So they're nice little uh, they're nice little boosties. They're little things. They're not things that the PCs can hold, but they're things that can still come up and give them a little push when yeah. they need it. It's um, a nice way to uh, sort of reward a PC and give them something that feels sort of personalized for them without shaking up the game too much. Yeah, definitely. If you're not really sure what kind of reward to throw out, give them an honorific. Or and then it can also be excellent like little enhancements to a treasure to a you know like the end of a campaign like when you guys uh, save the empress, mm-hmm. I think you guys got like an honorific a title. And and some material goods, if I recall. We did good. Or maybe it was maybe it was two honorifics and a title. Whatever it was. Whatever it was. It was a good uh, reward. There were many honorifics involved, uh, and they can help enhance a lot of things. So it's worth keeping them in mind, and they're not usually very big, so. Um, feel free to hand out lots of them. Uh, and then finally, we have uh, titles, uh, which is de- which differs from honorifics. Uh, when the PCs do truly great things or they inherit holdings, uh, titles usually follow. Uh, these are like you know being declared a lord or a lady of the Orlesian nobility, becoming a magister uh, in the Tevinter Magisterium, uh, becoming a merchant prince or a merchant queen. Uh, in Antiva, or becoming a circle instructor, or a senior enchanter of the circle of Magi, or even becoming a first of the alien, of an elven alienage. The first a clan. Uh, that's right. I was reading right. alienage elder right next to it. Mm-hmm. So these can represent uh, these represent status, but they give a lot more, I guess, general benefit than honorifics. They're a bit more powerful than honorifics. They're kind of like mm-hmm. the next step up from them. Um, partially because they give uh, social benefits based on folks who would respect your position, uh, and they also give you an income. Hold the phone. How long have I had an income? You've had an income for a while, but uh, I've, I've been forgetting about it. I am so broke right now. Also, I don't know how much of the stuff that you guys can give. Okay. I also, I'm I, probably putting think, it all back in the I was about game. to say, I think that's what you guys actually did when I said that you guys had like started getting titles. Was like just put the money back into the organization. It's where it's going to go anyway. Yeah, that's true. I might need to pull some hmm. out soon because I'm. You guys have a pretty good wealth in Brasilia by, by the Inquisition era. Maybe you can pull some for yourself. You can actually afford to feed my children. Mm-hmm. That'd be neat. But uh, titles actually have several tiers based on the organizations or uh, the social circles that you walk in. Um, usually about three tiers. It doesn't usually go. It doesn't really go higher than three tiers um, because it's like. 
for Elysian nobility. First tier is Lord and Lady. Second tier is Favored Lord and Lady. Third tier is Powerful Lord and Lady. Yeah, that's specific. But each of those tiers does come with extra stuff. Uh, especially for a, like a noble, that usually comes with holdings. It means you've probably got land. Uh, and it means that you've got a monthly income coming in. And it even means that you have troops that you can call upon um, in, in, in encounters. Or, uh, or in, um, in, say, when, when mass combat starts happening. So, um, titles are definitely a bit more obviously beneficial than honorifics. Let's see... And of course, um, tiers, the rules on creating and running organizations and tiers also can kind of funnel together and, say, and start to work with each other. And they can definitely make the PC, uh, and, then, see, and they come with, sometimes, especially because they got organizations, that usually means that they come with responsibilities attached to them. But that should, def that should be viewed as more of a springboard for new adventures rather than limiting the PC's actions. Mm -hmm. And uh, let's not forget that uh, if you are important enough that lots of people respect you, there's probably another side to that coin where other people think that you are perhaps less than likable or maybe mm -hmm. even dangerous. The worst. I mean, because so, if you've uh, got uh, a Tevinter Magister title and you walk into an Orlesian court, you're probably going to get a bit of side eye. A bit. Just a bit. Just a lot. Just a, just a little. You're going to get some Templars is what you're going to get. Also You're going to get a whole lot of Templars. A lot of Templar action. So uh, just be aware of the titles mm -hmm. that you're giving to your PCs and make sure they're earning them, make sure they're mm -hmm. aware of what they mean. But as long as everybody's on board, they can be a really cool way to reward uh -huh. some major campaign contributions. Now, titles and honorifics can also get very interesting when they start to work together or even against each other. <laughs> like, say, you know, maybe that Tevinter Magister also happens to have, like, the Lion of Orlais because maybe before they became a Magister, they were a respected hero in Orlais. And then they went up to Tevinter, got more respect there, but then when they came back, um, from being a Magister, they're getting a minus one to talk to, like, you know, to talk to folks from Orlais. Um, but by being a Lion, uh, they get a plus one for positive social interactions against those who are under your protection. Uh, and plus two bonus to the rightful rulers. So it kind of ends up working against each other, but sometimes they can stack with each other. So keep in mind that sometimes they can play against each other, and GMs mm -hmm. have some fun with that. And also, you know, feel free to retract one if it doesn't really fit anymore. Like, mm -hmm. a Magister probably wouldn't get to keep that honorific for a whole lot longer if they came back as a Magister. That's true. Either way, I think that the... Are some nice rewards. Mm -hmm. I feel, I feel suitably rewarded for all my effort. Yes. So we should probably go ahead and sign off for now. Uh, let's hope that your P. Let's see. We hope that your PCs are going to be rolling in the gold very soon. Or not, if that's the way you play your game. Incorrect. GMs, figure it out. Write it all down. Please do. Uh, this is Ren wishing lots of sixes on that dragon die. And this is Jessica wishing you good heels and happy healing. Thank you all so much for listening to the Wonders of Thetis podcast. And don't forget to check out all the other pod cool podcasts on the D20 Radio Network. We'll be signing off now. Thank you all for listening. Catch you later.